Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about taboos. So just to be clear, that's T-A-B-O-O, not T-A-T-T-O-O. That actually could be another episode. Note to self. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that could actually be a fun one. Uh, anyway, Nathan, what is a taboo? A taboo is a very bad, no good thing that people don't like. Yeah, fair enough. So the thing is, a taboo is generally more of a cultural thing than something that is actually not done by any legal reasoning. So this is something that actually can come up quite a lot in Dungeons and Dragons. So one actual explicitly written taboo does exist in, I mean, I don't even actually know how far back in D&D history, but there is an official taboo that druids do not wear metal armor. And it is something that is meant to kind of symbolize that their natural connection to not wear worked material, but it's not actually a rule in the game that they are unable to. It is a taboo in the class that it is simply not done. And it does actually kind of get a bit more odd in terms of, okay, so you can't wear metal armor, but it's totally fine to wield something like, you know, a scimitar because of its resemblance to a beast's claws makes that okay. But that there are certain, you know, weapons that a druid is not to wield because of the fact that it is, you know, worked metal that is, you know, inconsistent with nature. That's that's honestly one of the highly enforced aspects of the game that I do see come up that I personally can't say I agree with. So I don't understand why. OK, so leather might be a material that comes from animals, but it still, you know, gets worked by professionals usually and it still is you know connected with metal pins and fasteners and such so to have that restriction placed on druids still is something that just i personally find to be somewhat odd maybe it's the lack of connection to nature i mean it is like it is explicitly because of connection to nature but because it is just written as a taboo just i personally just don't understand it because this is the one like canonical taboo that at least comes to mind offhand that damn near every dm that i've come across enforces so i can't think of any situation that i've seen where i've seen another dm with a druid character whether it is pc or npc that's just like but i'm a magic using druid i'm squishy i would like to wear better armor and then a lot of the time, well, okay, you can't wear metal armor. You need to get, you know, uh, hide armor or, you know, maybe scales or bones of something. And like, it's something that a lot of DMs enforce as a can't instead of a won't or shouldn't or some such. And this is something that I think really ought to be played around with a little bit more. So the purpose of a taboo is that it is something culturally unacceptable. So I want to see more. Okay, what happens if a druid, you know, gets the feet or something to get full plate proficiency eventually, and then just 
does go into town or just into some place where they are recognizably a druid that is wearing plate armor, then what happens? This is something that could like, very much be a story hook. I, I, I'd like to think that that um, druids wouldn't be the, the kind of people to do this, but I, I just find it funny imagining that druids are just like, they see the guy and then later on that evening, he's like walking down an alleyway or something and just behind them, you, you hear the sound of footsteps and then there's like big gang of like three long bearded druids just standing there. It's like, you shit. We are going to kick your ass. And then they just start laying on that one druid. It's like, I just find it fucking hilarious. <laughs> right? Like, it's one of those things. Why is this the line that so many DMs draw in the sand? Like, instead of just saying that someone can't, that's just blatantly untrue. A druid has, you know, actually pretty decent armor proficiencies. So if they wanted to wear, you know, a breastplate or just some higher just quality of armor to try to force the limit on a character who does want to play with this taboo, I would welcome that as a DM to try to figure out, okay, what would happen? And do they actually give a shit? Because I don't know about you, Nathan, but I cannot remember the last time there's actually been an NPC druid who meets a druid in the party, or that the party actually goes to like a druid enclave or, you know, some natural grove that is, you know, full of magic-y, nature-y individuals. That's just not something that actually comes up a whole lot in my experience. Definitely not. And yet that is, like I said, the line that gets drawn really, really often. And I know we're harping in on this druid example, but it really just is a common taboo that I see in the game that is exactly just how a taboo can be useful to you as a DM. So now let's actually zoom away from the druids and go into, okay, so what other taboos might you as a DM want to play with? So first one that would come to mind for me after that would be, okay, in, you know, most society nowadays, it's generally accepted that if an opponent surrenders, that is to be the end of combat. And again, in D&D, that is really a surprisingly rare thing. Most creatures in D&D fight to the death all the time. But that just isn't how sentient beings behave. Hell, that's not even how animals behave. Animals will typically retreat if they just get injured. Yeah, like if an animal just gets hit, then it's, oh shit, okay. Unless I'm, like, unless an animal is actually starving to death, like, they will not fight to the death because they can always try going after something else. There's only two instances, really, where an animal will fight to the death, and the first is, like, you know, hunger, and the second one being, like, if it's protecting, like, young, like young. kids or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And yet, there is a strange taboo, in all honesty, that in just Dungeons and Dragons culture, that everyone fights to the death all the time. And in it's honorable really melee weird. combat. It's just the strangest thing because it is a very common thing in D&D for there to be, you know, a group of 10 bandits who use their numbers to just ambush, you know, small parties on the road. And okay, that checks out. Like, historically speaking, I can see why that would be such a common trope, because if someone has numbers on their side, they will often, you know, try to take advantage of those numbers. And yet bandits, 
unless again they are starving to death and just terrible as bandits, they shouldn't be fighting to the death. It should absolutely be the situation of A, two guys out of 10 die and the rest run, or B, they try to surrender, you know, being afraid that if they run, they might get, you know, shot in the back or something. Because fear of death, even in a world that does have resurrection and such, is still a thing. Because most people who, you know, would go into the bandit life probably can't afford resurrection for themselves and just wouldn't practically consider that to really be an option on the table. Adventurers get really spoiled at how relatively accessible resurrection can be. Most NPCs in the world do not have that safety net. They maybe some like Richard Nobles might like know a bard who might be able to you know, cast raise dead for coin. But for the most part, it's not going to be a relatively commonly accessible skill. So why do we always have people fight to the death? And then again, like I uh, started that rant off with, just when someone surrenders, what does the party typically do? Well, if the bandits surrender and the party's in combat, the party typically just loots the bandits and that's it. Most of the time, I don't think it depends on the party, right? Some parties mm-hmm. will just straight up and kill the bandits, even though they surrender. And exactly. I can probably see like like our group, like the the one on the in the current arc arc two, doing that. And that's kind of funny. <laughs> well, that's a word. But the point being, different places, different cultures, do put different value on life. So. It is entirely something that you as a DM could play around with to have it be, okay, you have these adventurers that have banded together from far off locations. What if you then have different cultural expectations from people in the party? Like maybe there is, you know, one particular city that is in a much, you know, farther off location that someone in the party is from and their local culture just is you know, because they're so far off from, you know, any bigger kingdom that anyone who does take up banditry is just to be put to death instantly. And that just is just the local way. And then if you have other people from like a larger city that has more guards and stuff, then it could just be, but no, you know, these people might be able to be redeemed and made useful or valuable to society. So to have an understanding of what different places value is absolutely something that could and should be used more in the DM toolbox just to have that kind of understanding and expectation. And it just kind of fleshes out the world a little more to have there just be different expectations in different places. So what if the party were to just travel to a place that has different rules? Like maybe it is the more violent type of party that you as a DM are looking over. And then they travel to a place where, you know, maybe it is a, uh, oh God, what's the word? A theocracy where it is the clerics and paladins who are in charge of the just entire area. And they have the all life is sacred be the actual local law. And then how would you as the party have to deal with oh no, we did the little, the usual murder hobo reaction of killing everyone in front of us. And then, oh, oh, we're not supposed to do that. We're that's not okay. Oh, we probably should have rolled a history check when we got into this region. Or, you know, as DM, you could also just volunteer this ahead of time to make them aware that, hey, you guys aren't to kill people here or else you might get in trouble. 
Uh, I would probably lean more towards the latter personally because I don't like surprising the players by something that they wouldn't know to think about. But to just have the world building and to introduce facts to the players of like just when they enter a new area, what are the local customs and rules that they should be aware of? What things are different in different places? This is definitely that, you know, outside in kind of world building that I fucking love. From inside out, when we're talking about taboos, there's something that can definitely be done in that aspect where... For example, if it's established earlier on that there are there's a certain taboo of sorts and the party does it, well, you can use that to your advantage by having certain characters react differently to such slights, you see. Because even when there are taboos, people tend to be certain people tend to be more forgiving, if you know what I mean. Mm. And that's definitely something that you could put into play and would be interesting to have. So speaking of slights, that actually gives another thought to me. So the American just societal taboo against explicit language is quite powerful here. But it is also a thing that can be very regionally distinct. Different groups of people have very, very different ideas on what language is acceptable to use. And that is absolutely the kind of thing also that could just be applied to D&D. Is it the kind of situation where the party might be, you know, arguing to try to get something from some noble that they need? And if it is a, I mean, to be honest, a typical D&D party can have, you know, swearing like a sailor be tame. It is not at all uncommon for people to just, you know, seriously or jokingly say absolutely terrible things around a D&D table. That's just kind of how it goes sometimes. But to actually have there be in-game repercussions for such would be honestly kind of interesting. Because if you have a negotiation be that situation where you are to just use more, you know, proper formal language and then to, again, Tell your players ahead of time if this is a regional thing that they should be aware of. Again, just don't surprise your players. Just don't be a dick. Going back to that rule. But to have there be the idea of a slight. So offending the nobles is a thing that, again, historically happened a lot. And historically speaking, they were dicks about it a a lot. And yet, surprisingly, that comes up relatively rarely in D&D. It is definitely again something that you as a dm could play with to have there be either poor language or just you know lack of showing the proper respect is an actual thing that a lot a lot of people have been killed for through history and yet in D, it is very common to just be blatantly insulting to the nobility because like eh, fuck you you know we're stronger than you you know <laughs> if you piss us off we'll just kill your entire family and just the fuck like the morality of a even relatively normal D party is not quite as good as most people probably would think like i would say that a typical party really is a lot more neutral in alignment than towards you know good or evil like they will generally try to do good but even a normal D party does a lot of terrible things by most standards And to have there be a slight against the nobility 
be a more significant thing just really opens up a lot of potential just plot hooks and opportunity for you as a DM. So if that were to be just, oh, where am I even going with this now? Just do that more. That's what I just want to say with that. (laughs) So another just common thing, and uh, they actually portray this pretty well in Game of Thrones, the idea of, you know, protection under your house. So the idea being that there is, you know, a small kind of ritual of, you know, if you drink and break bread with someone, then they are to respect you as their host, and you are responsible for their safety within your home. And again, that is not something that is, you know, a magical contract or anything like that, unless you decide it to be, which also could be cool in its own right, or to have it just be just that kind of cultural taboo, that there should be more of that kind of understanding that, okay, we are these powerful adventurers that are often, you know, on these tasks for the royalty, you know, because we are the only ones powerful enough to deal with bad guy X. And to have it be the understanding of, okay, we are expected to be kept safe. So if there is an assassin that tries to attack the party in the night within the keep, then that creates yet more plot hooks. Oh, okay. Then you can just play out. You have the combat encounter of the actual assassination attempt, but then you can have the diplomatic encounter in the aftermath of, okay, who is what is just the response of the nobility to the assassination attempt against the party. Then you have the potential political intrigue, if that is something that you want to play with your players, because again, game tables can vary in what they want to go into. And you can have this kind of, you know, diplomatic intrigue, whodunit, trying to investigate, who was it who sent this after you? What are they trying to accomplish? Is someone trying to frame someone just all of the just that, you know, political intrigue kind of shit that nobles have gotten up to since time immemorial. And all of this is not necessarily legal or magical rules in the game, but it is all just based on cultural taboos. And using these cultural taboos can be an incredibly effective way to make your world a more lived in place. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riffwakepodcast. Tier stars those a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support us get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at riffwakepodcast, on Facebook as riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash riffwakepodcast. And now we send us email riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.